Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. Oh, and I'm Elliot. And we're <laughs> going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender. So we're going on vacation next week. We're going on vacation tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Hitting that red eye, baby. Direct flight, leaving at 10.50 p.m. Four hour flight. Ooh, mama. Yeah, I'm be tired. Yeah. But I just, the current state of airports right now makes me very happy that we're flying direct. Yeah. I also um never fallen asleep with a mask on before. I wonder what that's going to be like. What kind of mask? Like to not get COVID masks? Oh. <laughs> First, I was like thinking that you meant sleep mask. I've tried to sleep with a sleep mask. It doesn't really help me. And then I thought Halloween mask. Oh. Could try all three at once. But yeah, we're going away 10 days. Yeah, longest I think we've ever been away. Had to get somebody to come in and look after our cat, our special prince baby boy. Um, but we're very excited. It's yep. it's going to be great. And we'll watch some movies. Yeah. Um, eat some food. See some cool people. <laughs> wow. Sounds like the most riveting trip ever. Watch some movies, eat some food, meet some people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. But it's also going to be my birthday. So that's pretty exciting. That is exciting. You're going to be 32. That's true. How's that feel? Uh, I mean, I try and have that attitude of like, it's a privileged age because I know that that's true. Sometimes I still get sad about it, though. That's okay. That's allowed. I've been thinking lately about how when I was 16 was half my life ago. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't want to be who I was when I was 16, so. Oh, man. Who does? Growing and changing is a a great thing. Fundamental. You could (laughs) say. Reading is fundamental. (laughs) Yes. Nice. Cool. You want to get into it? Yeah. Let's talk about some movies. Hell yeah. Okay. I'm excited to talk about this first one. I'm excited to talk about all these, to be honest. 
I think we're always excited to talk about all of them. <laughs> I would hope so. Otherwise, Why are we, doing we have this? no business doing this show. Okay. The first movie we saw this week, we went and saw in a theater at Metro Cinema. They um, had played this movie before and we didn't get a chance to see it when it was there. Um, and they added another showing and I was like, yes, let's get on it. Uh, because our frequently mentioned friend Ashley had uh, kind of forwarded it to us last time. So we went and saw it with Ashley and Perry and one of their friends. Um, we went and saw the 2022 movie Slashback. This may or may not be one that you who is listening has heard of because it's a little bit smaller. Um, so some information on it. It's directed by Nyla Anuksuk and written by her as well as Ryan Caban. A synopsis for it. When Micah and her ragtag friends discover an alien invasion in their tiny Arctic hamlet, it's up to them to save the day. Utilizing their makeshift weapons and horror movie knowledge, the aliens realize you don't mess with the girls from Pang. Great synopsis. Um, So I'm just going to list the four main girls who are in the cast. Um, So Tessiana Shirley plays Micah. Chelsea Prisky plays Lena. Nala Joss Ellsworth plays Uki, who may be one of my new favorite characters that's ever existed. And Alexis Wolfe plays Jesse. So we didn't know a lot about this going into it other than it was a alien invasion movie and it was um, set in Nineveh and it was, you know, indigenous Inuit made and written and cast. And so like we were like, yeah, I'm in. What did you think of Slashback? Oh, it was awesome. It was so fun. Um, it, yeah, very much like kind of in the spirit of like it or the Goonies or Stranger Things. Like Stand by me. Yeah. Now and then. Um. But yeah, like it, it's nice that it was more like now and then where it's um, mostly a group of ladies. Kicking yeah, ass. we have, <laughs> have that exact same thing. I said there aren't enough movies about young girls kicking ass. Um, and when there are, they tend to be in a mixed group. So like in Stranger Things. Um, yeah. But not as, there aren't as many movies just about like a group of young girls. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean... Especially, like, where they're the heroes and they're, like, yeah, kicking ass. Yeah. Um, so that was super cool to see. And they look their age. Yeah. I think they probably were. They're not doing the Riverdale thing where they don't have a bunch of 30-year-olds playing. <laughs> playing 12-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Or even, and I mean, I think Stranger Things had the best of intentions when it first started, but those kids have aged out of the age that they are. Yeah, so um, they just give them bad hair. Yeah, it doesn't really work. But yeah, I, like first and foremost, like I am here and going to give a shot to any movie about like a group of young girls that are just like not all about um things that are stereotypically young girl. Related. And it's proven that it kicks ass because now and then kicks ass. That's one of the best movies ever made. Yeah. Um this other uh, movie podcast that I like, which is about feelings and used to be about dads. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Called You Are Good. I'm just an episode on Now and Then, and it is such a good episode, and I want to make you listen to it. And if you like Now and Then, you who are listening, I highly recommend it. Um, they do go in-depth on the movies. So if you haven't seen Now and Then, you should watch that first. And yeah. if you haven't seen Now and Then, what are you doing? Just go watch it anyway. It's so good. Um, but back to Slashback. Wasn't the setting beautiful? Oh, it was great. Yeah, like, um, I think that because it's it shot in Nunavut, right? Yeah, yeah. So it just it did a great job of just capturing the landscapes and 
capturing the kind of the how the town functions and what it means to live in one of these towns i mean i i mean i have no clue what it's like but i feel like they captured the spirit that they were trying to capture of what living in one of these towns up north is like but without having it be like oh let's just peer in and either revere or feel sad for like one or the other like it was just like here's a place in the world that's complicated like any other place and there's wonderful things and there's difficult things and we're gonna look at all of that yeah like they made the place a character the way that stranger things did with hawkins like is that even a real place hawkins indiana yeah i don't think so yeah so but so that's the difference right like pang is a real place Mm mm-hmm in Nunavut, which is a real place, and it's a place that isn't um, often the setting of thing, things. And when it is, it... Um, oh, it is, it is a real place. Oh, there you go. Uh, but I was going to say, like, when things are set, like, up north, often it's it's like the edge. <laughs> it's like it's, it's just <laughs> right, white yeah. folks going in and being doing white folks Out things. of their elements. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> bears. <laughs> uh, speaking of bears, oh, there's man. a bear in this movie. Yeah, so... I love the riffs off of John Carpenter's The Thing. And they pay homage to that early on by having the kids mention it, which is smart. I like that. Yeah. But again, here, um, same kind of treatment of aliens. But in terms of effects, again, great use of practical effects versus CG. Like they kind of, they lean into CG here and there where otherwise you wouldn't be able to do something practically. Um. And it's like, it's fine. It's like serviceable CG. It, it works. Mm-hmm. But they lean more heavily on practical effects. And I think I think that was such a great choice. And it's executed so yeah, well. For me, like what the practical practical effects we're doing was like pretty gross, pretty upsetting, pretty like icky. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you. The CG, there's a couple moments where it's not amazing but like there was some absolutely horrendous cg in stranger things volume four so i'm not gonna fault this indie film for not having perfect cg when like the netflix project with like probably the highest budget can't do it right Mm, yeah that's fair yeah yeah no i i and i think they did such a great job with you know I, I think that they were fully aware that they don't have a Stranger Things budget. So mm-hmm. they were very intentional and I think really smart with composition and framing and how long they lingered on certain shots. Mm-hmm. And they used it to build tension and to kind of build that creepy factor really and they successfully. I think that, sorry, I interrupted you a little bit there. Nope, go ahead. Um, I think the filmmakers and, you know, the, I mean, the director and Nyla and Ipsuk understood that like, Sometimes, especially if you don't have the budget, less is more and implied mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. as effective or more effective than showing something that you can't execute the way you want it to. Because mm-hmm. the opening scene has some like gross stuff that you only hear and like is only implied. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was done really well. <laughs> yeah. I really yeah, liked yeah. it, which I think is also like techniques that were used by earlier horror filmmakers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, would you classify this as a horror film? Uh, yeah. It's tough. Because, yeah, like, I kind of, I think that it is, but it, because I wouldn't throw it into, like, science fiction. That's what is listed as on Letterboxd. Like, I feel like it kind of, like, blurs the lines between science fiction, horror, and, like, adventure. 
What I can say is if I saw this when I was young, I do think the like monsters would have scared me. Like I think, yeah. um, so it's getting a lot of comparisons. The way when we talked about Rathaniel, people are like, oh, it's the Nanette for boys. Yeah. People say this is like indigenous attack the block or yeah. like none of it attack the block. Yeah, um, I see. Which like I get that because they're both about a group from like a particular area that like wants to defend their area from alien invasion. But I do think this is scarier than attack the block. Yeah. And... And interesting. Oh my goodness, the cat is uh, wanting to lay on my legs. Um, an interesting difference between the two is that Attack the Block is set, I think, entirely at night. And yeah. this is set entirely in daylight because yeah. it's set in a place where um, there's portions of the year where the sun never goes down. Yeah. Very kind of, Midsommar. It's interesting because it's also kind of the opposite of 30 Days of Night where like it's in a place that doesn't see light for a long period of time the premise of that movie is a lot better than the movie and i know it's based oh, off a comic book i've seen it but like the fact that it's 30 days a night and then vampires come to the town that's brilliant movie's not great anyway <laughs> i think like setting something like this during like and again during um just constant daylight everything is kind of showing through like you can't hide stuff in shadows you can't you can't you can't pull any of those kinds of tricks well and i always think it's a bold move and an interesting move when a film is a horror film or horror adjacent film is set entirely in daylight because it's used daylight is used so much in horror films as like the reprieve yeah like when daylight comes you as an audience member can breathe a little and like things you know especially in like a nightmare on elm street paranormal activity yeah like the the scary stuff is only happening at night for the most part um, and then sometimes those filmmakers can like use your comfort during the daytime against you. But here to just set the whole thing in daylight and be like, it's here it here. is. Here you go. And uh, I, I found a quote um, from the director that said, growing up in Nineveh, she was dreaming of darkness even when there was sunlight 24-7. And so like that, you know, she's bringing that in, that idea of like darkness in a different form or like what it's like to live in that 24-7 uh, sunlight. I also, um, I really found the characters rich and compelling. Love the characters. Yeah. Like the they're great. I the actually, four girls are awesome. Yeah. I actually liked, like if we're, again, making comparisons to Attack the Block, I liked a lot more of the characters in this movie than I did yeah. in Attack the Block. Like, and, they were fle- and they were fleshed out in much better ways too. Yeah. Like the, that character of uh, Uki, I just am obsessed with. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. love her so much. She was so funny and so badass. And um, there's some really interesting stuff going on in the film between the character of Micah, who wants to distance herself from, like, you know, this this town and, and its traditions and, you know, even in a way her ancestry. And Uki, who's so proud of being Inuit and is so proud of where she comes from. And we see the like juxtaposition between those two characters. I mean, they're character foils, right, of each other. And um, I really liked the way they used that group dynamic. And I think that's just, you know, it helps then enrich the the alien invasion part of the story when we are invested in the characters. Well, yeah, like it. It's totally, it's totally important. Otherwise, you're running into what you talked about with action movies. How if it's just kind of plot driven? And with very little characterization. 
why should we care? Exactly. I mean, and, and I did say because I love horror, I'll forgive it in a horror film because like I just like the the gore and the gross out and the effects and the scare factor. So I'll forgive it um, and I might enjoy it, but it won't be my favorite film of all time. And I mean, there's I think we've talked about this before, but there's something just I find really um, powerful about using genre film to simultaneously tell a good story and have something profound to say or um, deeper to say. And, you know, this film is looking at kind of the um, contemporary discourse around like land back and like indigenous rights. And um, and I think it does it really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that this I feel like this was just solid. Like I, I really enjoyed it. I felt like it was paced really, really well. I thought the yeah, I, I liked all of the characters and how they set them up. I mean, while there are unlikable characters, they like show. They did a good job of showing complexities within those characters, and there they had a. They had it like a at the end of the movie. There was like this really contemplative scene that just like mm. raised a lot of questions of like, what does it mean? What does it represent? And it's not like it's it's a lot more thoughtful of a film than just like bang bang shoot 'em up kind of thing. And it was interesting because we talked on the way home, and I said, you know, there's a version of the film that could have ended there. Yeah. Um, and it's fine that it didn't, but I was I was really compelled by that scene, and I thought it yeah. was going to end with this like really contemplative more abstract scene i kind of um, wish it did i mean i'm not mad at the ending like i still think the ending is really nice but like i think that that scene is just so beautiful i would have loved for it to have ended there i mean interestingly because you said like you were just talking about how much you like the film and, and how much you like the characters it's getting a lot of flack online like especially in like um user reviews for um what people are, are saying is bad acting and yeah. uh I just, it has me reflecting on like, who do we create, who do we critique and who do we let it slide with? Yeah. You know, so, and I've seen some like, oh, the CGI is really bad. And I'm like, the CGI is terrible in like some key scenes in Stranger Things Volume 4. And yes, some people are talking about it, but most people are talking about how much they love Stranger Things. And so we're letting it slide there for the most part. Mm -hmm. And then like nitpicking it here. And um, yeah, it definitely feels like a first film. Mm-hmm. First film for these actors, first film for this director and writer. Um, and I just, you know, as someone who loves horror and has seen a lot of first films, sometimes the acting is a little rougher in the first film, especially yeah. when it's an indie flick, especially when you're pulling from your friends or your community, mm -hmm. right, to make the film. You know, we just talked about Phantasm last week. The acting ain't great in that. No, but it's a revered horror film. Evil Dead acting ain't great in that yeah you know so i and i actually i think the acting is better in this than in those two films especially when you're thinking that these are kids these are kiddos in this so i um well i i think it's fair to say that like there's room for these actors to grow and get stronger um it just i just ask that question of like where do we let this slide and and where are we heavily critiquing it and you know maybe thinking thinking about that a little bit carefully yeah yeah absolutely because that's just it i mean you can sure you call it bad acting but i actually felt like in the, in the two movies you just said like i actually felt more of an emotional connection to the characters in this than i did in phantasm yeah. or in or in evil Dead. i had a couple like 
gasping or like you know just being like oh really like when a character would say something to another character or or reveal something about themselves that I was like well the, I'm invested in the characters and you know as someone who frequently works with young people I actually thought this was one of more, the more accurate depictions of that age group yeah like there's a scene where they're just sitting around scrolling on their phones mm-hmm. and I'm like that's what they do yeah. <laughs> and then just kind of like talking about what they're seeing on their phones and then going back to their phones and um you know young people aren't that great at talking to each other either <laughs> so i actually found it pretty um authentic yeah i was just gonna say that like uh, yeah i feel like it just adds to the charm and the beauty of the characters that it's not like this nicely like wrapped package of with a bow on top of like "Quote unquote Oscar worthy acting." Yeah, and that Nyla and Uxuk didn't pull a Stanley Kubrick and make them do the scenes over and over again until they cried. Like, yeah, like I think that they were the characters that they were meant to be, and they performed them the way they were meant to be. And I don't know, worked for me. Yeah, it worked for me too. And and maybe it won't work for everyone. Um, but I just think it's a it's a valid thing for all of us to do, including myself, to like when I'm kind of getting pissy about something in a movie or another piece of art like am i being harsher on it for any particular reason than i have i have i let that slide in other way in other places and and where am i doing that and where am i not yeah um and just being reflective about it i'm not saying that there's any right or wrong there but just thinking about it and thinking about our biases yeah um uh yeah like there's very well said first of all <laughs> thank you i think that's great you. um i think there's there's not much to pick apart for this on this movie but like one thing that did stand out for me and it was more from a a graphic design oh yes lens. i actually think this is a really important conversation and i think that um it's it's graphic design in it's kind of the the crossroads of graphic design and accessibility mm-hmm. um something that was actually a bit of a struggle um less so for me but for I know you mentioned that you had a bit of trouble with this is that there were sections where the subtitles of when people weren't speaking English, the subtitles that were on screen were quite small. And when they they had a lot of, they used the, um, they used the technique of when they were showing text messages between people, they would have the text message bubbles appear on screen. Yeah. And they would pair them in colors that, did not allow for read easy readability, so they would yeah. have like a they have like white text on a yellow bubble, and they were doing that to differentiate between the different characters. And I I totally and I totally get that, but and, I, I did find it really hard to read. Yeah, and I, and there were some moments too where they relied on you like reading it right off of the phone at like an angle, mm-hmm. um, which wasn't easy. Also, the opening credits were in a specific color with like a drop shadow that was over top of the footage that also made it difficult to read the opening credits it's just i think that it kind of emphasized the importance of thoughtful graphic design and thoughtful ways of communicating text on screen um the music was really good yeah the music was really great it was done by uh tanya tagak who uh wrote a book that i love called split tooth um and then what was the um hallucination 
Yeah, I love that. It was like a, D- a DJ group that actually um, our friend Ashley who was there with us has seen at um, one of the local festivals that happens here and just said like they're awesome to see live. So really, really like cool um, original music. But along with it, that was uh, really, really, really awesome. Um, in kind of a sun lux, everything everywhere all at once way, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed. Yeah. But overall, how did Slashback make you feel? Maybe happy to be on the ride that was this movie. And I'm happy that it exists and that it got made and it was, and it got to be shared. I just had a lot of fun. Yeah. Same. I was like a little freaked out at times because it like actually had some pretty creepy visuals. Yeah. Um, But I was mostly just like really happy to root for these kick ass young girls. And I'm looking forward to seeing what um, any of them do if they continue this acting journey. But if if they don't, and this was a one-time thing for them, then I'm definitely looking for what uh, Nyla Anuxik does next. Hell yeah. Nice. All right. For the next movie of the week, it's a little rewatch. It was my mystery movie pick. And I chose the movie Death Proof from 2007. I can't believe it was in 2007. <laughs> Speaking of half our <laughs> lives ago. Uh, it was directed and written by Quentin Tarantino. So this is our first Tarantino that we're that we're covering on the show that means we're gonna have some things we have to talk about yes uh it stars kurt russell as stuntman mike zoe bell as zoe rosario dawson as abernathy tracy toms as kim and mary elizabeth winstead as lee synopsis two separate sets of women are stalked at different times by a by a scarred stuntman who uses his death-proof cars to execute his murderous plans you excised a word from the imdb summary (laughs) Yeah, I did. <laughs> I, I didn't love the use of the, the word. The redacted word was voluptuous. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, calm down. <laughs> Who makes these IMDb I don't know. I don't know. There's, there's one I'm going to read later that feels very clinical, but we'll get to that. Yeah, that was, I, I, I did, uh, as I was writing it out, I'm like, that's weird. It's like the blandest. We'll get to it. No, no, no. I'm talking about the word voluptuous that like. Oh. I'm like, that's kind of icky, but all right. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't love it. Um, so yeah, I, I picked Death Proof because I kind of I kind of think of it as a bit of a summer movie. Like it's just kind of in the spirit of movies I like to watch in the summer. This is on there. Um, they're on that list of movies. And it's one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino movies. And we'll talk about this a little bit more, but my my relationship to Quentin Tarantino and his films has evolved over the years. Um, and I want, and I, I wanted to watch something by him because I wanted to talk about the Quentin Tarantino of it all. So, mm. uh, what did you think all these years later, uh, of death proof? Well, I think, uh, I have very similar feelings to you cause I was, you know, really into Quentin Tarantino when I was in high school. Yes. Um, same. I mean, like I was and I wasn't. Like I loved Kill Bill, and I liked Reservoir Dogs, and I liked this, but I've only seen Pulp Fiction once in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, what else has he made? Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I really liked Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Um, which we rewatched like not that long ago, and I still liked it. Jackie Brown. I've never seen it. Um, I've seen from dusk till dawn, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I Django Unchained. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Um, 
I, I liked Quentin Tarantino and like the Quentin Tarantino movies I liked. I really liked, like I really liked Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and that fits with kind of the books I was reading at the time. Like I was a big Chuck Palahniuk fan at the time. Um, and, you know, nothing against anyone who loves those things, but I've kind of developed a complicated relationship to maybe how much my younger self revered some of these things. Yeah. It, maybe it's even less about the media itself and more about like my feelings I had towards it then and being critical of the way I felt then. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about, about your complicated Quentin Tarantino feelings. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a good way to put it that it, you just kind of put these things on a pedestal and they just can't be touched and they're the best things ever. Like, yeah, I, I remember rewatching Pulp Fiction over and over again, watching Kill Bill over and over again, and just thinking like, "This is peak cinema." Yeah, nothing better has ever existed. <laughs> it's so sick. Um, and and yeah. just cultural appropriation wasn't even a twinkle in our eye yet. <laughs> yes, um, and like Death Proof, like I saw Death Proof twice in the theater. Um, I worked at the theater at the time that it came out. And I pushed my boss to get it in. And our <laughs> did small it do local... well? No, um, <laughs> it did terribly. And I'm pretty sure he pulled it pretty quick, <laughs> pretty quickly. But I'm like, I, w- I really want to see that. So can you get it, please? Um, yeah, I, I think that I have so much nostalgia and just like excitement tied up in these Quentin Tarantino movies that I watched on repeat when I was younger and just thinking they were so cool and so fun. And like, they they are but i just feel that some of the choices now just like looking at it through the lens of where we're where we're at in 2022 just some of the things just don't sit well with me as a person i just i don't think that they stand the test of time as well um and it's just like yeah my evolving views on sexualization the sexual sexualization and violence that he uses in his movies is not as like oh this is so cool this is awesome i love this it's and i think that's where it comes into like it's almost less about the movie and more about like i can't believe i used to think this was awesome because like there's movies we've watched more recently that are hyper violent and or hyper sexual and i feel like we're not as hard on them because we're not also being hard on a younger version of ourselves. We're able to like be critical about it in the moment and just enjoy it for what it is. Whereas I think we're feeling this like cognitive dissonance of like, but I have this like nostalgic love for this movie, but also this movie has problems, but also I didn't recognize those problems then. What was wrong with me? I guess I have to really hate it and be critical of it now to make up for how much I used to love it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Cause I still do like super violent. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, well, and not to mention like the Weinstein of it all, the Weinstein's produced all of his movies. I'm pretty sure. Something that I, uh, was thinking about as we watched it this time is we've watched death proof together before. And actually we talked about it together in high school and you saw it with somebody who was really critical of the like sexualization of the characters, both in this and in planet terror, because you had seen it as grindhouse. Mm -hmm. Um, and we've talked lots about like, oh, what a wet blanket, like, or whatever, whatever, whatever. And I'm watching it now and being like, wow, that person was... On point. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. person was ahead of us. Yeah. Um, Because I'm watching it now and being like, yeah, there's 
there's some stuff going on here that doesn't fly with me now the way it used to. Yeah. Um, and, and then it doesn't fly with me that I was like, meh, I'm not like other girls. I don't, <laughs> I don't have a problem yeah. with it. <laughs> pick me, pick me. <laughs> um, yeah, like I just, I feel like such a dink because I was, I, I came down so hard on that person because it was the first time that I watched it with them. And I was like, I want to go see somebody that's funner. <laughs> Which is interesting because um, I remember seeing it. I saw Grindhouse in the theater too. Um, I went and saw it at like the multiplex in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went with my sister and my brother-in-law after Easter dinner. Like we went on Easter dinner night. Right. Um, and at the time, the person I was dating had come to my family's dinner. Were we in grade 11? I think so, yeah. And uh, was like, oh, well, I'll come to the movie with you. And I was like, no, you're not going to like it. And I, I insisted that they not come <laughs> because I knew that they wouldn't like it. And uh, yeah, definitely that person would not have enjoyed Grindhouse. And um, there were many walkouts in the nearly empty theater that I was in. And it had just come out as well, which is, mm. I think that was one of the first times I saw theater walkouts. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting movie because yeah, like gr- the gr- grindhouse movies. Like when it came out, I thought it was such a cool concept and how awesome. And it is still kind of a cool concept. It is, and like we don't watch the first film, Planet Terror, as we haven't watched it as much as we've watched Death Proof. Although interestingly, it was the first movie you and I ever watched on a one-to-one hangout. Yeah, so we got a little bit of history of us tied up in. In Grindhouse. In Grindhouse. Um, so with the version that we watched, was there anything else that you want to say? Um, yeah, just to like kind of wrap up this part of talking about it, there are definitely like aspects of this movie that don't jive with me anymore and like who I am. And I, if I was seeing it for the first time, I might be like, ooh, hmm. Um, but I still really like the central idea and I especially like the last 20 minutes like yeah. as a whole. And I just have like so much teenage nostalgia wrapped up in it. So I think I'm trying to like give myself some grace. I often say to to people, but especially to my students, it's okay to to like things that have problems. It's just important to talk about and acknowledge those problems. Mm-hmm. And I get the most caught up with the fact that like I didn't see those problems when I was younger. And I'm trying to give my younger self grace and not be like ultra pissy or like dismissive of the entirety of the film now simply to try and overcorrect me used to like the fact that I used to love it so unconditionally. Yeah. Cause there still are some things I really like about it. Cause yeah, I feel like with Quentin Tarantino specifically, there's a lot of the kind of separate the artist from the art going on for me. Like it's. Which is a central ethos. I don't agree with. Yeah. Like it's, like it's kind of it's kind of this thing of like i i i've i have some like i have some problems with quentin tarantino just like as a person and the things that he said in defense of his movies and his approach to how he delivers those defenses i also just personally feel he's getting to the point where he's making the same movie over and over again i haven't seen the hateful eight but like the other like four most recent movies he's make are they're all just revisionist movies that end in the same way yeah yeah, and it's just like, it's complicated because you're right. I'll still throw this on. I'll still throw on Kill Bill um, and 
I, I still have a lot of fun when we watch these movies. And I don't think that'll go away. And I don't think it has to. But yeah. I also think that you and I are at a point. I read a thing on uh, Reddit the other day where somebody asked like the separate the artist from the art question. Yeah. And one person's answer, which I really liked the way they stated it and actually think that I've been practicing that for a long time without putting a name to it, is they said, you know, films that were made before we really knew the whole story or had like, you know, so thinking Roman Polanski and like liking his films pre his trial, post his trial, that like supporting somebody once we already have that knowledge in the new endeavors they, they take are kind of, it's kind of unconscionable. But liking the work that they did prior to that is understandable. Mm. Before we had knowledge of it. Right. You know what I mean? So like you and I will never go pay to see a Roman Polanski movie in the theater. Yeah. And I, I kind of suspect we wouldn't ever talk about it on the show if there was a new movie made. Yeah. Um, yeah I agree. We have tried to sometimes when we want to see a movie, but we don't want to like support the artist. We've tried to like ask Cineplex if we can pay for a different movie. <laughs> and, like we're like, hey, can we pay for this movie that we want to give our money to while we go see this other movie? And they've told us no. Yeah. So you just need to do it and be really sneaky. <laughs> be sneaky about it. <laughs> Try and avert your eyes when they come in with their clipboards to see who's in the, who's in the theater. Well, so, something else I was going to say too is like, I feel like, especially at younger people, um, you can feel so precious about the things that you really love and things that kind of inform your identity. Um, like, like when Tarantino was for me in mm -hmm. that, like, I really love this films. So when anything com when anybody comes for that, or tell points out the the negative sides of it, or challenges what your view is, like it's very easy to feel like you're being attacked, or they're they're attacking you on a more personal level for liking this thing so much. And I think that the I think the thing is you just need to the attitude is to be open and to be kind and respectful that like it's okay if you love quentin tarantino unconditionally and he's just your jam but it's also okay that i have a different relationship with him and his films and i think that there just needs to be patience between those two groups and that there it, like there's a spectrum of fans of certain things well i also think it's important to talk about like the problems like, I've had some tough conversations with students when, like, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out. Yeah. About some of my, like, ethical concerns with the film um, and, like, what I perceived prior to having seen the film and then definitely agreed with my pre my preconceived perception um, after we did watch it, which was the, like, exploitation of, you know, the the crime yeah. itself um, and, like, hyper-violence against women and kind of the... um use of margot robbie in the film yeah. and like how little screen time she had and, and that kind of stuff so you know but and my and many of my students really 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 loved that movie and it was tough to have those conversations so i think while you say like it's okay if you love quentin tarantino yeah i i agree but i also think it's important to be willing to hear the problems with the things you like like yeah. I said, it's okay to like things that have problems, but we need to be able to talk about those problems because otherwise we are uncritically consuming things that contribute to yes. problems in our world. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Like, I think that it's important to remain 
or to learn how to be critical yes. and, and to not just kind of, it's like set it or forget it. Mm-hmm. Like there is this sort of thoughtfulness that goes into like in art or anything else really. And I, I don't think I had that in any meaningful way when I was a teenager. Yeah, that's just my like, students have like so much more growth than I had. <laughs> when, or that—that's a weird way of saying it. They are so much stronger and more reflective than I was as a teenager. Oh, I agree. I think that I probably like back then would have liked to think that I was a thoughtful person, <laughs> but I know now very much not the case. It's not like you weren't a thoughtful person, but you've become a much more thoughtful person. I was the worst version of myself when I was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yikes. Um, there's a few things I do want to uh, talk about with Death Proof, though. Okay. Is that, um, so there's two versions of the movie. So when it came out on DVD and it, what you could get it uh, just as a standalone film, not as a part of the Grindhouse full experience. And it's an extended version that has additional scenes. I actually prefer the cut down version for the grindhouse pairing over top of that standalone one. Cause I feel like those additional scenes don't really add that much to it that I like. And the cut down version just has more clever editing techniques that were suited to the in theater experience. And that's how I originally saw the film. And mm-hmm. I, I, I enjoy those. I enjoy those things about it. Um, I still think it's super, it's super fun, especially like you said, when we get to the like last 30 minutes or so of the movie, it's like so cool. It's so, it's still so great. And yeah, like I, I find like the acting, especially in like the second half of the movie, I really enjoy, I really enjoy the acting. I, I mostly, I, I really like seeing Rosario Dawson being awesome. We talked about her when we talked about Josie and the Pussycats. It's just like great to see her as more of a lead. And T9 texting is great in this. <laughs> I know. I think I said as we were watching it, how did we ever text like that? It's terrible. Even on screen, it took so long to I know, type I was a like, message. This is <laughs> so funny. Chop, chop. Oh, it's so funny. And this movie also has just like one of my favorite endings of <laughs> anything. It's a good ending. It's so good. I love it. A really it. good ending. Um, also thinking about like the grindhouse part of it. I still like the fake trailers. Yeah, they're so ridiculous, but like clearly so much fun was had putting those like, together. More movies should do it. More movies should have fake trailers. <laughs> Just throw the fake trailers Because like, honestly, them. some of those, you know, especially Thanksgiving, I don't need to see a whole movie of that because I like got a whole movie in the Thanksgiving trailer. And honestly, it was upsetting enough that I don't need the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think more people who have like, a really great idea for a movie that clearly will make a bad movie should just make trailers. Yes. Yeah. And then throw them at the top of their friends' movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're good to go. Edgar Wright's Don't is like... Classic. So great. That's that's my favorite one. Thanksgiving is just um, so shocking that you yeah. can't help but remember it. And the werewolf women of the SS is so Rob Zombie. So Rob Zombie. There's another person that I um I never loved. <laughs> never loved. I your never Rob. loved, but I love even less now. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you showed me. His hills have eyes, and I was like deeply upset by it. He didn't make. He. That. He didn't. Nope. Who did? 
uh, I can't remember their name. Oh, well, I didn't like that one. I didn't like it so much. I thought Rob Zombie <laughs> made it. It was a film. That, so the reason I would have thought Rob Zombie made it is I feel like Rob Zombie unnecessarily put sexual assault in his films. Yes. And the remake of The Hills has, Have Eyes has a really unnecessary and really upsetting sexual assault scene. Yeah. Um, I remember working at the theater when that movie came out and so many people, mostly women, walked out very upset. At the theater? Yeah. In, in my mind... I heard Blockbuster and I was like, how did they did they like come back and be like, I stopped this halfway through and I'm upset. I'm upset. No, you had people like leaving the theater midway through. Yeah. There were, in some cases, like the women were like crying. Like, Oh, that's awful. So yeah, I'm, I was really, up, I was really upset when yeah, I watched that movie. It's not, it's not great. But anyway. Wow. It's hard to have a conversation about a Quentin Tarantino movie. Eh? It is so many feelings. So many things. Uh, speaking of which, how did Death Proof make you feel? Complicated. Yeah. Yeah, I like simultaneously was like, I love this. I hate this. I love this. I hate that I love this. I love that I hate this. I don't know how I feel. <laughs> Do I hate myself? <laughs> <laughs> I definitely hate aspects of my younger self. Ugh, how about you? Yeah, same. Complicated. Like, I enjoy watching it. There's some parts of it I don't enjoy watching. I recognize that my feelings have changed and evolved over the years. And I mean, thank goodness for that. Yeah. Like, who knows? Maybe watching this when I'm in my 40s, like, it'll evolve even more. I hope so. I said I was having a little uh, fire table night <laughs> with the fire table night, a little campfire with a fire table mm. um, with my mom and my sisters the other night. And, uh, one of them was my oldest sister. My mom was saying something about her when she was younger. And she was like, what? I can't believe I was ever like that. And I said, people change. I can drive on the Yellowhead now, um, <laughs> which is a notoriously tough to drive highway in, in Edmonton that I used to have panic attacks, just like literal panic attacks, just thinking about driving. And now I drive on it pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. um, so people change. Yeah. And we have changed and we will change more. And that's a good and beautiful thing. Absolutely. Well said. Oh, yeah. thank you. I think that we very not well said everything about Quentin Tarantino. And now, yeah. and now I've, I've said something well, perhaps. Yes. Really bashed our way through that one because it is complicated. It is so hard to talk about. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about something else. Okay. What do you want to talk about? I picked a funny movie. I told you that I had a funny movie, a dramatic movie, and a weird movie. And you chose funny. And funny was Waiting for Guffman. The 1996 film directed by Christopher Guest, written by Christopher Guest and Eugene Levy, starring Christopher Guest <laughs> as Corky St. Clair. Fred Willard as Ron Albertson, Catherine O'Hara as Sheila Albertson, Parker Posey as Libby Mae Brown, and Eugene Levy as Dr. Alan Pearl. Synopsis for this film, if you've never heard of it, and if you haven't heard of it, I'm so excited that you are hearing of it now, um, is an aspiring director and the marginally talented amateur cast of a hokey small-town Missouri musical production <laughs> go overboard when they learn that someone from Broadway will be in attendance at their first performance. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That is it. Um, we have seen just best in show, I think, that these uh, these folks, have, this kind of crew has made together. Mm -hmm. um, love that. Do love that. Uh, love in general kind of what Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara do independently and together, and they are at their heights when they're with this crew. Um, 
So what did you think of Waiting for Guffman? Yeah, I agree. I love this crew of people together. They just seem to gel, like all of them, like all these kind of key players that were both in Best, of, in, Best in Show and this. They, yeah, they just, they just get each other and they play off of each other so well. Um, I, I, yeah, I love Eugene Levy so much and I love Catherine O'Hara so much and and it's so funny too because like I feel like Fred Willard always plays the same character in like everything <laughs> but he does it really well but he does it really really well yeah there, there's just like there's just so much yes anding I feel that's happening in all of these scenes um, and it's executed just like just so perfectly here's the thing that would tell you that According to IMDb trivia, the only parts of the movie that were actually scripted were the lines of the musical. So the entire <laughs> film is ad lib. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, it, just it like, is so. It feels so funny. Well, I just feel like they've the characters are all just exaggerated versions of themselves, mm-hmm. but they're characterized so well, and you know that because of what you just said. Because mm-hmm. if you're having to ad lib and improv so much essentially the entire movie you have to have such a core understanding of who your character mm-hmm. is what their what their like tics and their personality traits are like like there's just such a core understanding of all of that from everybody that's in this movie that they can just play it up and it works and you you never feel like they're losing sight of who they're supposed to be or what they're supposed to be doing uh yeah it's uh it's so good. It's just so funny. And I mean, if this type of humor isn't for you, like you'll know it within the first 10 minutes and then shut the movie off because you're not yeah. going to like it. Like we have a friend who um, hated Best in Show. <laughs> so uh, it's not for everyone. Yeah. Um, but like that friend would say, when someone disagrees with him, he's wrong. Um, so <laughs> the thing that I, I love so much about this is the Twin Peaks effect of it all, which is that Waiting for Government 1996, we were six years old when it came out. And I look at that and I think, well, it's just like The Office. It's just like Parks and Recreation. And Mm -hmm. so then I think, would any of those Michael Schur shows exist without Waiting for Guffman, without Best in Show? Because it does the mockumentary, dry humor, zany characters that are kind of taken to their most outlandish place. It's got the humor of Parks and Recreation. Like, it kind of really had that vibe. And and yet it predates it by a significant number of years. <laughs> yeah. You've never seen Spinal Tap, right? I haven't, no. Yeah. Which I think is the f- first one. I think so. I feel like it was in... I feel like that's from the 80s. Mm. But you're absolutely right. Yeah, like, I wrote that down too. Like, they've absolutely nailed the mockumentary style. And, like, having the... Having that balance that was, you know, really emphasized successfully in shows like The Office and Parks and Rec, where you have these really earnest people trying to act their best talking head scenes and then intercut with who they really are and how (laughs) they, (laughs) all these like kind of candid, quote unquote, candid moments that happen between the talking heads. Yeah, the, the the mockumentary style just lends itself so well to very subtle comedy. Yeah, I think if you're somebody who likes The Office, Parks and Rec, like, I don't know how you couldn't like this other than if you just feel like, oh, I've seen this before. But honestly, I think this does it better in just like a perfectly perfect runtime. Yeah. Just like a sweet, 
like 90-ish minutes. Mm-hmm. So great. Um, now, I will say, because it's it's set, it's like a, a, ta- a small town celebrating itself. And, um, you know, Parks and Rec tries to reckon with this, but this film doesn't even try and re- reckon with, like, the reality of colonization and, like, indigenous rights. And there is one, like, pretty darn unfortunate use of, like, an awful slur against um, indigenous folks that, I mean, is speaking to who that character is, but I think is really unnecessary. It's so sad when that happens. I know where I'm just like, oh. It's it's like one line. It's always just like one line or one bit that doesn't serve any larger purpose. And it, if you pluck, plucked it out, it would make like no difference to the overall film. And I think it just speaks to how rampant and casual that use of language and racism was at the time, right? That that wasn't even a thought to not include that, that like it wasn't even considered. Um so then I think of shows, and we haven't finished watching this, but like a show like uh, Rutherford Falls mm-hmm. and how that takes kind of a similar setting to this in Parks and Rec and a similar sense of humor because Michael Schur is involved in that too um, and starts to do some corrective work on uh, how Indigenous folks are considered within those narratives and um, included in those narratives and uh, is collaborative yeah. with Indigenous creators and actors. So yeah, that was something that I was like, yeah, that's a... That's a thing that like has to be acknowledged about this, that that narrative both doesn't exist at all, like in The Edge, and yet uses some blatantly racist language, like The Edge uses some blatantly racist visuals. Um, and that's just really sucky 90s stuff. Isn't it just so stinky that like that one line is probably when it first came out, it's just like it kind of was just like a nothing mm-hmm. pass it by. And now it's like the one thing that's like stuck in our craw of like. But as it should. Exactly. Like it's, it's just, it's so close. <laughs> it's so stupid close. Um, but, but, I, yeah. but I don't think that's true because even without that line, this film is about a small town in America telling the history of that town and yet not incorporating indigenous folks into it at all. So it's not so close. It just wouldn't have this overtly racist line that we can point to and say, oh, as white people, it upsets us. Right? Like, it, it, that's just the truth of it. Yeah. And there's something we can point at and say, like, this is an overt, explicitly apparent thing. But if that line was taken out, that's all still there. It's just implied instead. Yeah, I guess it's all, I mean... Clearly, it's all purposeful to just kind of highlight the ignorance of this town overall mm-hmm. and what they think of their history and the history that's that they're celebrating. But it's like an attempt to have your cake and eat it, too. So we'll make fun of the um, ignorance and racism in the town without actually reckoning with it as white filmmakers and actors. Right. Which is it's the 90s and I get it. But just like we were talking about with Quentin Tarantino, I think we need to. I really liked this movie a lot. I will watch it again, mm-hmm. but it does have problems. Well, it doesn't, man. <laughs> Sheesh. Flashback was pretty good. The next movie was pretty good. <laughs> it was. Um, a couple pieces of trivia for you. Apparently, this is Meryl Streep's favorite movie, <laughs> according to IMDb trivia. Okay. All right, Meryl. Good for you. I also saw a letterbox review. Uh, that said, move over Hamilton. I only care about Red, White, and Blaine. <laughs> Heavens. Um, yeah. Parker Posey. 
Yeah. I I think I've been sleeping on how amazing she is. She's a really, and she is just so young in this. Yeah. Um, Her and her Dairy Queen (laughs) is just some of the funniest stuff I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Um, And I kind of, it's made me want to seek out what else she's in because she's really funny. Josie and the Pussycats. But we did just watch that. (laughs) She wasn't best in show. She was in Scream 3. Yes, which we talked about at the time when we when we talked about Josie and the Pussycats, how it has kind of a similar vibe to this and Eugene Levy has a cameo in Josie and the Pussycats. Um but you know you know, to bring it back to now, Shits Creek is very of this sense of humor. Oh yeah. Like it it does while it isn't a mockumentary. No. It has that sort of like tone and pacing as and this, even like best camera movement. Yeah. Like it's very like handheld. They're in the room with you. Yeah. Yeah. Shit's Creek is so good. Very, very, very good. Love Shit's Creek. I'm <laughs> waiting for Guffman to make you feel. It made me happy to be on like the weird and hilarious ride that we were on, but after this conversation and some severe reflection, I'm 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 having some more thoughts and feelings about it that oh, I need to unpack, I think. That's um that's good but yeah how about you uh i I just anytime i watch uh eugene levy and Catherine o'hara together it just makes me so happy um and i thought it was really funny and unlike with you know watching death proof and kind of just being critical of my teenage self in a way that kind of prevented me from being able to enjoy it despite the things that get under my skin about it now i you know I was thinking about, you know, the omissions, the use of language and and some of those things in this as I was watching it and then being able to enjoy it, knowing that that exists within it. Um, And so I I can make peace with that. And am I glad we bookended this week with some really good movies? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So a movie that I did not feel complicated about. No. And is probably after everything, everywhere, all at once, our most anticipated movie of the year. We finally got to go see Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Yes. Came out this year, 2022. It's directed by Dean Flesher Camp, written by Dean Flesher Camp, as well as Elizabeth Holm, Nick Pally, and Jenny Slate. It stars Jenny Slate as Marcel, Dean Flesher Camp as Dean. The the amazing Isabella Rossellini as Nana Connie and Leslie Stahl as the fearless Leslie Stahl. (laughs) This is the synopsis I was talking about that feels very like, uh, it's just very stiff. Feature adaptation of the animated short film, short films interviewing a mollusk named Marcel. (laughs) The story is way more beautiful than, (laughs) than that makes it sound. Yeah, we were really... We were really excited for this. And I, same thing kind of happened with this movie that happened with every, everything everywhere all at once, where I was given or saw a date for when this was going to be released. And then all of a sudden that it wasn't coming out that day in Canada. And then I thought I saw another date and it wasn't that. And that was the case with this on Cineplex. It said it was coming out July 1st. It is still not listed to come it to come to Cineplex, even though it's getting a wide release, um, tomorrow as of this recording um but we um yeah so we had it was a lot longer of a wait than i was expecting 
but we got to go and see it at the Edmonton International Film Festival's advanced screening of it, which was totally awesome. I'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit. Um, but I think a big reason why we wanted to see this um, was that Marcel is really important to us. Mm-hmm. Marcel Shell has played a pretty big role in the kind of early stages of our relationship. When those videos dropped, I remember us watching them together a lot over and over again and quoting them and doing the voice. You you do the voice really well. Thank you. <laughs> um, and a testament to that is that they also released Marcel Shell books and we have a video on a phone <laughs> somewhere of you and I laying in bed and you're reading the book to me in the Marcel Shell <laughs> voice, which is very, very good. Um, but yeah, like we... We'll, we'll revisit those and we've revisited those movies kind of just throughout the years like they'll just kind of like pop back up and we'll and we'll rewatch them and they're still so charming and lovely yeah and i think it is you know alongside the green mile and saw one of our most quoted pieces <laughs> of media that we just like will randomly quote in a day just like treats and snooze and snooze and treats <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah we were really excited to see that this was going to become a full-length feature and that we got to finally see it. What did you think of Marcel the Shell with shoes on? It did not disappoint. It was everything I wanted it to be and more. Mm-hmm. It was sweet. It was very, very funny. I laughed a lot. Mm-hmm. It was incredibly beautiful visually, and it was very moving emotionally. Oh, Yes. Yeah, I have all that same stuff. It's like it was so beautiful. It had so much heart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, hilarious. We so like the advanced screening we went to. It was sold out, mm-hmm. and the whole crowd was there for it. Mm-hmm. Like the 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 funny bits. It was just like an uproar of laughter. Yeah, Every- like, to the point that you might miss the next line because people were laughing so heartily. <laughs> yeah, and so loudly. And that was really beautiful to see. Yeah, it was great. Everybody, like, everybody wanted to be there. It was lovely. I feel like this was the right story to tell mm-hmm. for Marcel Lachelle. Like, there's, they kind of mentioned like back when Marcel was kind of more of a, um, played a bigger role in the zeitgeist when the videos were coming out that they were talking about having Marcel go on like adventures with John Cena, and like do that kind of thing. And that's just not the right story for that character. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was very, I'm very thankful. And I think it was the right choice of Dean Flesher Camp and Jenny Slate to not just hop on that opportunity. And, you know, that would be an easy way to make a bunch of money while this thing was really hot. Instead, they mm-hmm. waited over 10 years to make this film, which is just feels so much more thoughtful, has so much more, like I said, heart put into it. Um. And just so much more life experience that the two of them have had. Like mm-hmm. they, they used to be a married couple, um, Dean Flesher Camp and Jenny Slate, and have since divorced, uh, but remain good friends and still collaborate and make something like this. So it's just like a lot more history between the two of them as creative people as well. Yeah, I, this <laughs> making this and not the John Cena movie was the right choice. And this is the one that will stand the test of time 
Big time. Like this kind of strikes me as um, something that will be in the same vein as a fantastic Mr. Fox, mm-hmm. as something that you can love as a child and then revisit when you're older and love just as much and that it's like just an incredibly moving film on all counts and forget about who it's for, or labor- labeling it a kid's film or a family film. It's just an amazing film. Yeah. Um, I mean, we saw Fantastic Mr. Fox as adults, but several of my students watched it as kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a childhood favorite. And I'm like, yeah, it's good taste in movies. It's a <laughs> great movie. Yeah. Um, in terms of this movie, I started crying incredibly early on. Mm-hmm. Like within the first 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I just never really stopped. Yeah. I got... I got really, like, I welled up quite a bit early on, but yeah, I didn't fully get into full cry mode until a little bit later on in the film, but I, it, it definitely got me there. It's how it'd be difficult. It would be difficult not to on subsequent views as well. Like, it's just going to happen. Well, you asked me, you're like, well, what made you cry so, so early on? And there's a line that kind of speaks to the grief that a person or a shell can feel at the unexpected loss of something that just wrecked me. Um, And then when I repeated that line to you on the car on the way home, we both started crying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, the writing in this is, and I I mean, my understanding is that a lot of it is ad-libbed as well, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just phenomenal. And obviously everyone involved has such a clear understanding of like who Marcel is that they could just create these both hilarious and incredibly profound little statements coming out of his mouth. Yeah. Like, I think, um, I think that's a, that's a big testament to Jenny Slate Mm -hmm. who is just incredible here. And like, if I've heard somebody else say this, but I'll echo it here in that if there was an award for voice acting, she should win Mm -hmm. for this. Like she has a way of delivering lines as Marcel that is simultaneously hilarious and heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And like as we were dri- yeah, as we were driving home, it it was like way too fresh, and we were like <laughs> quoting things back to each other and like recounting scenes and just yeah, <laughs> starting to cry again. And it was so good that you can't even remember them all. Like we were about to go to bed and remembered um, a joke that was made in the movie that um, was very specific funny to an Edmonton audience mm-hmm. it will be funny to to everyone but it especially killed in Edmonton yeah um and we had forgotten about it and then I was like oh my goodness that line so funny um yeah I can't explain enough how both funny and moving it is yeah it's like they they've kind of found this sweet spot and it's like a mastery of comedic timing and very subtle but impactful drama Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. It's just. It's so. It's so thoughtful and doesn't like hit you over the head with it. Like it's. Yeah. It's just. It's very smart. Like the writing in it is very smart, and then the execution. Like you've already said, but like this. This movie is just beautiful. Like it's so gorgeous. The cinematography and how they shoot all of these scenes, and also just like how inventive they are mm-hmm. with how they introduce Marcel. And how he navigates his life in within the world of this Airbnb. <laughs> I think as a kid, I would have loved watching like Marcel's creations and like how he navigates the world, which is also like 
there's some, I haven't thought about it enough, so I'm not going to say it thoughtfully enough, but there's some real look at like accessibility within that mm. and like how people mm. get things done in different ways when they can't do things the way that yeah. the majority does it. I love that. Um, and, and also I think the film then later speaks to the need to um, come together as a community to make things accessible. I don't know that that yeah. was at all an overt intention, but I think that you can read a accessibility narrative into this. Yeah, I like that thinking, and I think I'll you're... go back and get my master's degree analyzing <laughs> representations of accessibility and Marcel the Shell with shoes on. I love, yeah, <laughs> love it. Done. If anybody wants to fund me, <laughs> shirk scholarship come my way. <laughs> I yeah, I love I love that thinking, and yeah, I think it's I think it totally fits, but. Yeah, I I think that what yeah what they've come what they come up up with here is just pure magic. Yeah, truly. Also, Isabella Rossellini can't forget to talk about oh, her. she's amazing. She's amazing. From Blue Velvet to her amazing videos on how bugs have sex. <laughs> yeah. To this, she's fantastic. Yeah, I just think like. I think I'm just still kind of, we just saw it last night. I think I'm still kind of in awe a little bit of just how they took this series of three different YouTube shorts and it's like, how did they expand this to an hour and a half movie? And they did it so well and such a human and told such a human story that tackles so many different things whether it be overtly or subtly. Yeah. It's uh it's amazing. And yeah, they've like they mastered the animation. The stop motion in this is so good. The way that Marcel um and the real world interact. Also the score was done by Disaster Piece, who did the soundtrack to It Follows. Oh really? Yeah. Which <laughs> Interesting. Is, which is also two very different awesome. movies. Uh, but I, I bet you my eight-year-old niece who loves it follows will also <laughs> like not my eight-year-old niece but the letterboxd account my eight-year-old niece yeah <laughs> um will also really like this maybe that's the winning <laughs> winning piece is when disaster piece does the music yeah hell yeah so I think like I know that this is it's getting a wide release uh, on July 15th but I looked and yeah, like in Edmonton, it's not playing in Cineplex at all. Mm. So this might be a tough one to, to see. Like, I, I don't know where or how wide the release is going to be. That's a shame. It truly is because I think that if you have the ability to see this movie, that you should seek it out and go see it. Mm -hmm. And go see it in a theater because I think that the, the theatrical experience of seeing it with a crowd uh, will be very wholesome and fun. Do you want to hear my story now? Okay. I've been I've been talking all week about this story I was going to tell about Marcella Shell. Um, I think you know parts of it, but I don't think if I don't think I've ever told you the the big thing about it. So, um, in December 2010, my sister made me a Marcella Shell gift. Do you remember this? Yes. Um, so she made me a Marcel the shell with sandals on. <laughs> um, and it was really impressive. Well, she made it like 
she made a quote-unquote display case of it out of a Ferrero <laughs> Rocher <laughs> case. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then she had like Marcel the shell with sandals on like written at the base of the case in like glittery. <laughs> I have yeah, a right. picture of it somewhere. I'll find it and we'll put it on our Instagram. Uh, but it was it looked really good. Like it had this little googly eye and um, I just like I feel so loved when somebody like gets me a gift like that that is just so specific to me and there's like heart put into it. Um, as much as I watch those shorts with you, I watch them a lot with my sister too. Mm. Like we watch them together just like nonstop. And so I I just remember like getting this gift and loving it so much. Um, and this was the first Christmas that like I didn't live at home. And I think that you and I like stayed overnight at my mom's house. Yes, at Christmas. And then like went our separate ways on Christmas Day, but then kind of spent time with each other at each other's family's houses. The part of the story that's really sad is in January, my dad passed away. And I remember I would look at that Marcella shell with sandals on and think that that was like one of my last happy times. Mm. Sad. It is sad. Yeah, that it was like one of the last happy times with my family before we knew that he was gone. Mm. And somewhere along the way, I've either lost that Marcel the shell with sandals on or it broke or mm. something like that. I think that little guy got jostled and just kind of fell apart because he was too delicate. Um, but I just, I really remember the like juxtaposition in my own life of like having a really good Christmas. Right. Like a really good Christmas. And my dad wasn't there. Um, but like it was a really amazing time to like know that I lived on my own and yet like come back and like be with my family. Um, and then, you know, not even three weeks later, he unexpectedly passed away. And it just felt like how can that be possible to have had such an amazing time and then have the rug ripped out? From under you like that and do you think that some of that is tied up in when you were watching oh this yeah film? <laughs> big time yeah because yeah, so much of this film um is about loss and not necessarily death but just loss and like yeah. you know feeling disconnected from family especially mm -hmm. um and that is what death does <laughs> mm -hmm. it fundamentally disconnects you from from a person so yeah that's a like i don't think that's the thing that i really shared with people is that i loved this gift but it was bittersweet because it felt like the last happy memory mm. i didn't know that yeah that is like it is really sad it is really bittersweet yeah i mean obviously we've had many happy memories since but people don't come back to life so yeah unfortunately yeah Real bummer. I'm just bumming everybody out here. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sharing, though. Yeah. Yeah, so Marcel Lachelle is meaningful to me on a lot of different levels mm -hmm. that are, um, like, there's no intrinsic reason why I should connect Mar Marcel Lachelle so, so um, specifically to my dad's death, but but it's there. Yeah. That's just, there's just a connection there. Um, so speaking of that, there's a couple things I wanted to read that 
Dean Flesher Camp has said about Marcel the Shell, would you be willing to let me do that? Absolutely. I've been watching interviews with him and reading things he's written. And I think that he's just such a thoughtful guy. And like, this was clearly a passion project of his. So I would love for you to read some stuff I have from him. Two small ones. And then I want to read a section of the letter he wrote for A24. Yeah, do it. Okay. So one of them was that part of this film, um, there's some living creatures that you might not expect to be living creatures <laughs> and when asked about that in an interview he said if an object is neglected long enough it develops a spirit of its own oh don't say that <laughs> i'm gonna cry again <laughs> <laughs> so that was one um then if you haven't seen this one this might make you cry uh, so this was from a letterboxed review by somebody named pete charney who got to see a showing where there was a q a with dean flesher camp afterwards so during the question and answer, this is from the review, a little girl asked Dean with a completely earnest sense of curiosity, did you make Marcel or did you find him? To which Dean responded, a little bit of both. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> she believed Marcel was real, even if she knew he wasn't. Stories of creativity can save the world. That is so nice. <laughs> Oh, look at us crying over the shell again. Over reviews oh. that people are posting. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of both. Son of a bitch. The tears are actually <laughs> rolling. Oh, my God. That's beautiful. Now I'm going to read from his letter, and you're going to cry some oh. more. Yeah, just go. Okay. Oh, heavens. So Dean Flesherkamp wrote this letter for A24, and I'm just picking out some some aspects, some aspects, some sections of it, but I would encourage everyone to go read the whole letter. So he says, I created the original Marcel short with Jenny Slate over a decade ago. I made it for no other reason because it cracked us up and because I'd promised to make a video for a friend's stand-up show. I'd planned only to show it to the few dozen people at the show that night, but afterward, a woman in the audience asked me if I would put it on the internet so she could share it with her grandmother. She'd had a bad fall and was in the hospital. That's the only reason I posted it on YouTube. It was for an audience of one, but a community found it. At the time, Jenny and I were each struggling in different ways professionally, feeling small, voiceless, overlooked. I'm not going to say that we created Marcella some clever reaction to those circumstances, but I do know that he couldn't have come from any other two people at any other time in their lives. That DNA is what makes him an ideal candidate for sending to your grandma who just broke her ankle. He reminds, of, he reminds us of an essential truth, one that gets to the heart of why I made this movie. We grow back stronger at the break. Despite his huge disadvantages, Marcel, Marcel, Marcel <laughs> not the first time I've done that. <laughs> Marcel never despairs, and he isn't given to self-pity. Where he finds hope, he doesn't race to snuff it out, as so many of us do, for fear that it will make him look stupid in defeat. Sure, he's cute. Yes, okay, he's witty. But the reason he is loved by millions is because he loves himself. This film is personal not just because of the poorest relationship between my real-life experiences and those of the Dean I play on screen but also because it reflects the positive role that certain losses have played in my life and play in all lives. What making the film taught me and what I hope it can offer audiences is that heartache and grief, now I'm going to cry, <laughs> are not themselves final outcomes, but just snapshots of a continuous churn. This film is a tribute to that process, to the inevitability of change and its promise of new growth. It's a cycle that sometimes seems miraculous, but couldn't be more ordinary and which we ought to embrace, but rarely do. <laughs> I can't believe we're sitting here crying over this little shell. And all the things that this person has said about it. Um, yeah. <sighs> which just, I think, speaks to... Obviously, there's something in this that 
spoke to me at a time of loss. And that was um, reverberating as I watched this film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think like it, it just says like so many profound things. So like I said, like such human things. But I think that there's just like this deep emotional connection to how important Marcel Lachelle is to us and mm -hmm. our relationship and both individually and together. And it's yeah. And I just like I feel the care that went into this from Dean Fletcher Camp and from Jenny Slate. Oh, man. <laughs> It's so good. It's so beautiful. Like, this is one of the best films I've ever seen. And to have two of those in a year, within months of each other. And Jenny Slate's in both of them. So there, there's the <laughs> secret sauce right there. You know, I, I was saying this on the car ride home yesterday, and I was thinking about it as I was writing my notes for this today, that everything, everywhere, all at once, and this, Marcellus Shelby, hard to say <laughs> Marcel the shell with shoes on are two of the best movies I've ever seen and it is a silly and difficult and amazing thing to be like wow these two brand new things are two of my favorite things ever but they're both like really beautiful in different ways mm -hmm. so everything everywhere all at once has this focus on nihilism on how we don't matter and how nothing matters yeah and yet how that can be a beautiful thing and this film is the complete opposite, how everything matters, no matter how small, and how we're all interconnected, and how we all matter in the grand, grander scheme of the universe, and how that is beautiful. And both of these things can be simultaneously true. Yes. And I'm like, there's going to be times in my life where I need to like embrace the fact that I don't matter, and I'm going to go watch everything ever all at once and cry a bunch. <laughs> yeah. And everything ever all at once really makes me think of my relationship with my mom. And there's going to be times where I need to think about how I do matter. And how like every little moment matters. And it's going to make me think of my relationship with my dad. And I'm going to need that. And I'm going to cry a whole bunch too. And I'm really thankful that both of these films exist. I, I hear that. So, yeah, if you make a film... <laughs> with googly eyes and Jenny Slate. <laughs> it's probably, probably gonna, gonna be, be amazing. One of, it's probably gonna be one of our favorite things we've ever seen. Yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um so how did this movie make you feel? Oh my goodness. Just like so happy to be alive and part of this like such difficult world because it is really beautiful. Yeah. That's really well said. <laughs> How about you? It, yeah. It made me feel all the feelings I wanted to feel. It made me feel feelings I wasn't expecting to feel. It, it gave me the warm and fuzzies, but it also obliterated me. <laughs> um, it made me really reflective on our relationship and relationships with other people in my life. Um, and just how far you and I have come since we first watched this little <laughs> shell on our laptops. Um, and I'm so like... On another note, I'm just so grateful that Film Fest put this on and brought this movie to Edmonton. Like, it may not be showing any other time, possibly. Um, and for them working with us to, like, allow four other people to go see this film as well. Um, and they sold out the screening. So 
and it was full of what I felt were true Marcel fans that wanted to be there and experience this in a room full of other Marcel fans. <laughs> yeah, there was, um, I think it was just last week or a couple weeks ago, you said you don't understand when people clap at the end of movies and you clapped at the end <laughs> yeah, of I did. Oh <laughs> I looked God. down and you were clapping and I'm like, well, the answer, what can make Elliot clap at a film when he thinks it's the most ridiculous thing in the world to do? Marcel the shovel shoes on there can. There you go. Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, we li- we like crying. We support crying. But I never would have guessed the first time we'd cry in a recording would be about Marcel the shell with shoes on. But it's nice to have a mutual <laughs> cry. We tend to have mutual cries. Oh, man. Okay. <sighs> okay wipe the tears away. You want to talk about some bad dads and rad dads from the week? Yes, I do. Okay. I'm going to hit you with my bad dad nomination of the week. Stuntman Mike. Kurt Russell from Death Proof. Wow, I'm channeling some Quentin Tarantino misogyny here. (laughs) He's, uh, he's just, I just have, I have written down, he's a sick, selfish, toxic monster. I don't want to say mine, because now I seem like a misogynist that I didn't pick Stuntman Mike. (laughs) Who did you say? Jungle Julia. (laughs) I mean, okay, yeah, I understand where you're coming from, but like, I think that that's actually a good choice. Well, my reasons were that, first of all, she's really non-consensual, which mm-hmm. I think, uh, and not in a sexual, I mean, not in her sexual advances towards another person, but I think that some things that bad dads can do is not be mindful of their children's boundaries. So like, no, go give your grandma a hug, even if you don't want to, or no, finish what's on your plate or, or that kind of thing. Right. So I'm not even talking about consent in sex. I'm talking about consent with like control over your own actions and body and having other people respect those choices. And Jungle Julia makes a non-consensual choice for a friend that I find abhorrent. Yep. Um, so that's bad. Yeah. She's also really self-obsessed. It seems like she's a good radio DJ, but like, don't let it get to your head. And she's rude. <laughs> yeah. Um, but nonetheless, Stuntman Mike is worse. Well, and the thing with Stuntman Mike too, um, other than he's just a nasty person, is that he omits information and then reveals the truth when it's too late and it can lead to some very bad consequences also, or outcomes bad dad energy which like really speaks to some of the um the stuff that we've experienced with our own fathers that we're really trying to avoid in any new fathers that we have mm-hmm. total lack of accountability for the poor choices made yeah oh yeah like i'm sorry i did this <laughs> terrible thing yes. and it's like mm, buddy whereas i feel i feel like with jungle julia if um what's her name uh if Arlene had been like straight up this isn't okay what you did she may be willing to see reason and apologize yeah um so yes i'm going to say that i was just channeling some of Quentin Tarantino's energy when i picked her <laughs> and uh, acquiesce to you okay and we can say stuntman mike get out of here goodbye Stinker. see you never Rad dad. I feel like we're going to have the same one, but you go first. 
Um, for Rat Dad of the Week, I picked Marcel Deschel. Of course, it's Marcel Deschel. Are you kidding me? Just like, yes. Do you want me to tell you why? Please. So I'm actually really excited to pick Marcel Deschel as the Rad Dad um, using this kind of ethos, which I don't think we've done yet, which is that I think Marcel is the most beautiful example of parenting yourself. You can't say stuff like that. <laughs> I'm going to make I, you cry I, again. I just stopped crying. <laughs> so the way that he cares for both Nana Connie and also Dean is very sweet, but more importantly, I think that he can remind us that we can be for ourselves what we may have wanted as children and not have gotten, or something we've lost since we were children that we once had, or just do some things we need to do on our own, even if they're currently still accessible to us in the form of parents or parent-like figures. And I just think that like Mar Marcel is his own dad. Yeah. And he takes care of himself and he loves himself. And that doesn't mean he doesn't need other people. Yeah. I think that he's his own dad, even if he didn't have to be. Yeah. I don't think he had to be, but he is. Yeah. And I think he can show us that like we can get that from ourselves. Mm -hmm. We don't have to seek it in somebody else. But we can appreciate it when it's offered to us by somebody else, but we don't have to need it yeah. from somebody else. And like how friggin' beautiful is that? Yeah, I love that. I think that's perfect. Yeah, I mean, on top of all things, like he's he's loving, he's caring, he's selfless. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, beautifully put, nailing it today. <laughs> wow, I tried to make up for all of the the gibbledy gobbledy gook that we had in the in, in the, the middle there. In the middle there. <laughs> Sorry, we're still reckoning with our own um understanding Real of shit problematic sandwich. things. Real shit sandwich, but those buns. Yeah, mm. we're teaching you how to write an email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's bring it back to our MVP of the week. Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Be, Be our, our dad. dad. Okay, I think in the spirit of everything we're talking about, when it comes to a rad wreck, if you haven't already, please go watch the Mar Marcel. <laughs> <laughs> go watch the Marcel the Shell with shoes on uh, shorts that are on YouTube. They are so they still stand the test of time they're beautiful little pieces of art um and they they're mean, so funny they're so funny they mean so much to us um, also it's a really good way if you watch the shorts and you don't like them who are you you monster <laughs> but if you exist you're not gonna like the movie yeah it's a good primer so it's a good way to kind of like i just i can't fathom a person who loves the shorts not loving the movie and i also can't fathom a person who dislikes the shorts liking the movie so i think it's a yeah. good way to go watch it the movie also does some really interesting like recontextualization of some of the elements from the short films yeah so it's worth giving another watch if you've already seen them um even if you just watched them today already watch them again and <laughs> if you've never seen them what are you doing <laughs> go watch them they're amazing yeah so great so yeah Brad Wreck of the Week, Marcel Lachelle with Shoes On, YouTube videos. Thank you for listening. <laughs> wow, what an emotional roller coaster this episode was. <laughs> Holy cow. We were pissy and then we were... Pissing tears. <laughs> oh, wow. Pissing tears. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> um, we drop a new episode every Thursday. But until 
next time you can follow us and slide into our dms on instagram at baddad.raddad give us a follow on twitter at baddadraddad also you can get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual letterboxd accounts uh, links for those are in the show notes and we would absolutely love you forever if you could drop us a rating review or follow on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you're listening from But that's going to do it for these two stinkies this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie and my dad is dead. I'm Elliot and my dad is a deadbeat. But remember, not all dads have to be bad. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.